Welcome back to another volume of Truly Disturbing Tales from Reddit. Today we're going to be narrating three new and settling stories taken directly from the platform. I encourage you all to sit back, grab a snack, and enjoy these terrifying personal accounts. Now, without any further delay, let's jump right in. Fifty-two-year-old female here. I was traveling by car to an out-of-town job assignment. I had stopped at a popular and busy gas station slash travel stop to fill up the car, stretch my legs, use the restroom, and of course, grab a snack. Near the end of my stop, I was approached by a developmentally disabled woman who appeared to be in her mid-twenties. She was looking for a ride to a town a couple of towns over, as her ride had abandoned her while she was in the restroom. She was more than a little upset. She didn't have a cell phone and didn't know any phone numbers so that I could call someone for her. I checked with the employees at the store and they said that she had been there for about an hour looking for a ride because she said that her friends had left her while she was using the bathroom. I then made the decision to do something that I'd never done before. Offer a stranger a ride. I wasn't going to the town she wanted to go to, but I was heading in that direction and I told her I could drop her off at the grocery store in the next town over, where I would be turning off to go to my original destination. The grocery store was always busy, and it was very likely she'd have an easier time getting a ride to where she wanted to go. Also, she'd only be about 5 miles away from where she wanted to go, instead of the 25 miles that she currently stood, and she'd have an easier time walking that distance if she absolutely had to. This was agreeable to her, and we set right off. But right away, I noticed something. I feel like there was a van following us. I tried to lose the van, but it kept pace every step of the way. Meanwhile, the woman in my passenger seat wanted to play with my phone. I told her no and that it wasn't a toy. It was for work, and then I moved it out of her reach. The van speeds up and starts to inch closer to us. The woman suddenly remembers her boyfriend's phone number and says that we need to call him right away. I can't use my phone while driving. This was in the mid-2000s, so think before car sync or voice-activated operations. And I was approaching the outskirts of the business district of the next town, and there were plenty of signs that said no cell phone use while driving. I told her, we're almost to the grocery store. We can call him when we get there. She becomes agitated and yells, no, you have to take me home. I say, I told you that I couldn't do that. I'm not going there. It's in the opposite direction of where I need to go, and I'm expected soon. We'll call him from the parking lot. She becomes more upset and visibly frustrated. All the while, the van is getting closer and closer. I pull into the grocery store parking lot. It's about 4 p.m. The store is adequately busy. I pull up in front of the store and ask for her boyfriend's number, but she can't remember it now. Even worse, she won't get out of my car. She's arguing with me, and the van begins to pull into the parking lot. There's a sheriff's deputy parked nearby, and I roll down my window and signal that I need to speak with him. He walks over and asks me what's going on. I tell him where I met the young woman, and how she won't get out of my car, and under my breath, I tell him that I believe the van that is pulled in was following us the entire way here. The deputy tells the woman, she brought you where you asked her to, 
It's time for you to leave her car now. She slowly gets out of the car, and I ask once more for her boyfriend's number, and she says, You're crazy. I don't even have a boyfriend. Oh, look, they're my friends now. And she points at that damn van. The deputy and I share a quizzical look, and he says, Give me your contact info. I can delay them for about 20 minutes while I check their license and registration and lecture them about abandoning a special needs adult. You get out of here, and I'll check on you before my shift is over. And one more thing, don't pick up any more hitchhikers. I left and went on to my destination. He called me as promised to make sure that I got where I was going, and told me that they were keeping an eye on this van and its owner. He told me he also contacted a colleague at the sheriff's department in the county where I was working, and that she would contact me in a day or two. While I was on assignment there, I spoke to two deputies and a detective about the woman in the van. No one ever told me anything about them, but they were very interested. My nightmare is one day I'll turn on a true crime show and see a report about this woman and her gang robbing or killing somebody. So, woman looking for a ride at the travel stop? I pray we don't ever meet again. My husband Jim and I own an antique business in a big old bizarre barn of a building. Five floors, multiple other tenants, including a restaurant. Halloween fell on a Monday last year. We locked up the business at 5 p.m. and we went to an early dinner across town. We got a call from our security monitoring company at around 6.30, a motion detect on the lower level, then another. We left dinner in a hurry but figured it was probably a bird or a rat. We don't have rats at the building, but, you know, something like that. Maybe a cat. It's way too early for a break-in, after all. When we landed, I went inside the main level, upstairs, and disarmed the alarm, and began fumbling noisily with the keys and the big iron gate, one of many that separate the floors at night. Jim checked the perimeter outside for signs of a break-in, but nothing doors and windows all intact. No signs of a disturbance at all. Dusk had long gone at this point. The shadows had settled in and taken over. Just wardrobes loomed in the dark. Wardrobes and nothing more, right? I headed down below to the location of the alarm, trusting Jim would follow. I'm rather accustomed to the building after dark, so I just turned on my phone light, not the overheads, and walked around boldly like I owned the place. I looked in the corner with the motion detector. Nothing. Just its red eye blinking mindlessly back at me. No rats, no cats, no birds yet. I turned and went the other way while Jim poked around a few aisles over. And that's when my eyes found it. Something laying conspicuously on the ground. Something that we had not left there. It was a fucking burglary kit. Sitting right in the middle of the floor. Bolt cutters. Metal clamps a fire extinguisher, just sitting there, waiting. I've never had a bigger case of sheer terror set down over me so fast. After all, there was no broken window or door, so whoever it was that this kit belonged to, he was still there, in the dark, with me. I hissed, Jim, Jim, please, please, and he didn't hear me. I literally couldn't scream. 
Just like in those stupid goddamn dreams, my voice stuck. Just me, the spotlit burglary tools, and a hostile presence lurking in the dusty shadows, watching while I whispered for someone to save me. Finally, a thousand years, or maybe ten seconds later, Jim wondered why I had taken root in the hallway and came to see for himself. He saw what I was frozen pointing at and said, Oh fuck. We bolted out that front door to call 911 and wait as we abandoned the building to the burglar. An eternal five minutes later and the police finally show up. Initially, they were pretty unimpressed with our find of the bolt cutters and crowbar. Until we pulled up the security footage that revealed the actual horror. The face of my new sleep paralysis demon. So this guy, as is obvious, he's built like a lean, mean, brick shit house. He'd crouched on a landing behind a bookcase when we closed, and watched me and my staff lock up. He bided his time. Then as calm as could be, he walked out and went to the men's restroom in the hallway downstairs. That area isn't set for motion detect for a variety of reasons. He spent a while in there moving around with the door open. He constructed the mask using one of ours and a fake flower wreath to hold it up. He looked right into the camera barefaced, and then put the mask on. He stared at the camera fixedly in his mask for a time, and then finally pulled on some gloves. He stacked a few solid body vintage suitcases in front of a tall iron gate and hopped right over it like it was nothing. He ran down the hall, triggering that 6.30 silent alarm, and made a loop around the floor. He ran back into the hall and moved a ladder to hop back to the other side of the gate, and bizarrely, just repeated this whole thing a few times. Then he went to the basement wormed his way over a 15-inch gap over yet another iron gate, back to the hall again, staring right back into the camera once more. Lather, rinse, repeat. He was moving fast, up and over, back and forth, upstairs and down, parkour style almost. Then he got the tools out and peeled apart one of our steel lock boxes with the crowbar and stole a handful of our keys to access showcases. At about this point, Buenos Dias World from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for season three of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wait, he heard me fumbling with the gate and keys upstairs. He ditched the stolen keys and tools and hid, watching me while he waited in the dark. We exited to call 911, and he ran back to the basement. Now, in the basement, there is access to a dirt tunnel that circles the perimeter of the building. He broke that door open and entered. Spiders the size of dinner plates awaited him in there. He had no light. It's muddy and dank. It's, in a word, terrifying. There's a tiny exit hatch if you take multiple turns and walk the length of the tunnel. That hatch dumps you into the busy kitchen of a restaurant, whereupon one would need to stroll past the line cooks, out into the restaurant proper, 
and then one could leave through their front door. Plastered with mud, which does leave tracks, speaking from experience. When we went to the basement, there was his clear entrance into the tunnel, but no exit tracks, no muddy footprints, nobody walking out on the restaurant cameras, and the cooks, they noticed nothing. Reviewing the footage, timing it all, tracing his path from camera to camera, and searching the building carefully took hours. By the end, all of us, including the police, were starting to lose our collective cool and freak out. There was no chill when even when the guys with guns were rattled. After all, where the f*** did the intruder go? Jim and the two officers had no choice but to walk the dirt tunnel. The cops took one look in and were like, absolutely not. Jim insisted, and so they made him walk point. The group made it about halfway through the tunnel before the cops decided that they had gone far enough and turned back around. Jim got the okay from them to board up both ends of the tunnel, which he did, solidly. And thus, the story ends. The security footage was spread widely, but we got no useful leads despite the decent face shot. Did he indeed crawl out the hatch into the busy kitchen and stroll out past the cooks, leaving not a trace of mud behind? I suppose. We got no suspicious smells coming out of the tunnel in later weeks and months. And to be clear, if he were stuck down there in that tunnel, he'd be long gone by now. We've only unboarded that room one time in the last year, and that was to deal with a burst water pipe just a week ago. Once the cleanup work is done, Jim and I will walk to the far end of the tunnel together for some sense of closure. I've already vowed to myself, though, if he is dead down there, I'm using his skull as a Halloween display this year. This is a long one, so bear with me. Two years ago, I was working for a company as a person who measures houses. Most people haven't heard of this job. It's where you essentially have an iPad, and you go to people's homes and draw out floor plans and measure rooms for carpet, hardwood, different flooring projects. Anyone can request one. I was 25 years old at the time, one of the few females that worked this job. I was actually pretty good at it, so they gave me a lot of work, and I usually hit between 10 to 14 houses a day, driving all over multiple towns. This house was my last house of the day, in the middle of nowhere, and I was exhausted. When I got there, I was incredibly annoyed because the customer wasn't home and was late for his own appointment. Ten minutes later, he pulls up right next to my car. A middle-aged man, balding, wearing a normal office job attire with a tie and everything. He seemed a bit awkward, but was apologetic nonetheless, and let me into his home. Upon entering, the house was unbelievably spotless and organized. Minimal furniture, and it smelled like cleaning supplies. This alone didn't strike me as odd at first, beyond the fact that he was a guy and he was that clean. He also had two cats lounging in the living room. He first started acting weird as I was directed to the first bedroom. He mentioned, Wow, my cats love you. They don't take to strangers like this usually. But his cats didn't move or come anywhere near me. I just nodded and smiled while I got to work scaling out the master bedroom on my iPad. He started inquiring about the electronics I was using. Do they keep track of where you are on that thing? 
immediate red flag. Yeah, and my boss knows how long each job should take based on the scope of work. It's incredible technology. I lied without missing a beat. He agreed that it was amazing. Be careful. Don't touch the gun on the nightstand. It might go off, he chuckled. Talk about immediate spine chill. I looked up from my iPad and, sure enough, there was a handgun right there on the nightstand. I knew instantly that I needed to behave like nothing that was happening was triggering any alarms for me. He directed me to the second bedroom, and he said the exact same thing, warning me of the gun on the nightstand that indeed was right there. This was the moment I knew I was in danger. At first I thought it was just my anxiety around guns, but at this point, the tension building between us was undeniable. There were only two bedrooms on the scope of work. I hastily met up with him in the kitchen and began running down the next steps, but he interrupted me. Could you measure the basement stairs? I forgot to add them to the list and I think I might want to carpet them in the future. My heart sank, but my stupid customer service condition brain could not figure out how to get away with saying no. He led me to the basement door and, you guys, there is no way he was planning on doing anything with these stairs. They were plank wooden stairs, L-shaped going down leading to an unfinished basement. Unfortunately, in order to get an accurate measure, I had to walk all the way down them to the basement. Meanwhile, he stood blocking the doorway with a smile on his face, mentioning again about whether or not my boss knew where I was, to which I shortly replied yes. Once I got to the basement, I scanned the room quickly. There was not one, but seven deep freezers lining the wall. In the middle of the room was a lit, low-hanging ceiling light, revealing an old television set, VHS tape scattered on the floor, and an old recliner facing the TV. Behind the set, two white shelves full of VHS tapes. In this moment, I knew one of two things was going to happen. He was either going to let me go, or he was going to push me down the f***ing stairs. I held my breath, put a smile on my face in an attempt to act my way out of the situation, and began to climb the stairs back up. All I could hear was my heartbeat in my ears. He was still blocking the door. No smile this time. As I got about five steps from the top, I felt him hesitate, which made me hesitate as well. You could cut the tension with a knife, and I finally understood that expression. To my absolute shock and relief, after about four seconds, he stepped to the side. I made a beeline towards the front door, not saying a word when he stopped me again, saying, Oh, before you go, won't you give my cats a treat? They just loved you so much. He was holding a bag of cat treats. I quickly gave his cats a treat, thanked them, and practically sprinted from the house, all the way to my car. The second I got out of his driveway, I had the most intense panic attack and broke down crying. I tried to call my boss, but I was in a dead zone. The truth of the matter is that my boss would not have noticed I was missing for at least 24 hours when I didn't route my day the next workday. Yeah, the weirdo would have eventually been caught as it was my last known location, but I would have been long gone, I'm sure. I suffered PTSD over this experience. I couldn't sleep for over a week. I was petrified to work my job, but had no choice. 
I'd be hard-pressed to tell you that this day doesn't still haunt me. The worst part? I was so f***ed up, jumbled, and in denial over the experience. I forgot to even write down his address. Once I finally did get a hold of my boss, she mostly laughed off the situation as him being some creep. Nonetheless, she did tell me she would flag him so that I specifically would not be resent out to measure his house if there was a need for a remeasure. At the time, I felt like that was all there was to be done. A couple months later though, I did try to find the information because I started feeling like maybe I should inform the police. But no matter who I called, since I was not exactly sure of the day I was out there, I couldn't get the info. Additionally, I was working 40 hours a week hitting 10 to 14 houses a day. No way I could look in my ways history to find the address after a couple of months. For what it's worth, once I was out of the dead zone, I also called my boyfriend and immediately went to his house for comfort. He witnessed the immediate aftermath. All my friends have learned of this experience, and I was encouraged to share it with as many people as possible. So I thank you for listening to my story. This happened when I lived and worked in Virginia, and to this day, the only reason I can think that he didn't try to kill me was because I lied and told him my boss knew my exact location, when truthfully, she wouldn't have noticed that I was gone for at least a day. Listen to your gut, be safe, and be sure to write down the addresses of any creepy customers you come across. You never know if you might need them. world from the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. I'm Marco Wint. And I'm Rick Schwartz. And we're your hosts for season three of Amazing Wildlife, a show from iHeartRadio Ruby Studio and the global conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park. Listen as we dive into the efforts here in San Diego and spotlight the heroes working worldwide to care for the species you know and love. Listen to Amazing Wildlife on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.